Hi, friends. This is Bad Ideas About Writing. It's a podcast that counters major myths about writing instruction. It's the audio version of the open access book, also called Bad Ideas About Writing, which is edited by Cheryl Ball and Drew Lowy. Hey, that book features 63 chapters of opinionated, research-based statements intended to spark debate and to offer a better way of teaching writing. I'm Kyle Stedman. I teach writing at Rockford University, and I'm here to read those chapters out loud, giving you another way to access those ideas. And hey, today's kind of a big day for two reasons. One, we're moving into the final section of this book. If you've heard this podcast or read the book, you know it's split into different kind of chunks. So today we're moving into the first chunk of the section called Bad Ideas About Writing Teachers. Sounds pretty good, right? The other cool thing about today is that we're actually hearing the final episode of this podcast that's actually going to be read by its author. We've had like eight or nine of those so far or something like that. So today is the final one because we're moving towards the end of this whole thing. I mean, after all, today is episode 58. So here's today's bad idea about writing. You're going to need this for college. And it's by Andrew Hollinger. When I first heard a teacher say, you're going to need this for college, I was a high school student. I heard the phrase again when I began teaching 10th grade English, and I wondered, as a first-year teacher, whether that was the teacher version of because I said so. Or if, more tragically, it was what teachers said in response to the often asked, why do I have to learn this, when they didn't really know the answer. The teachers I worked with, however, were very smart and some of the most student-centered educators I've ever known, so it's hard for me to fully believe that. In fact, according to the National Survey of Student Engagement, high school teachers and college writing instructors agree about what skills and concepts are important. Things like writing process, creating multiple drafts, peer review, practicing certain genres. However, the survey also shows that the activities of high school students do not include writing as many drafts, practicing as many genres, or reviewing as many peers' essays as their teachers agree is important. I don't believe that teachers are intentionally giving their students short shrift. Instead, my guess is that between creating and executing lesson plans, dedicating class time to benchmark assessments and testing practice, and staying on top of all the paperwork and levels of management, practice time slips away. So when teachers say, you're going to need this for college, they might actually be saying, pay special attention to this skill. I know that this will help you with your college work, and we won't be able to spend a lot of time practicing. If you're going to need this for college as shorthand for pay attention to something important, why should we stop saying it? Ignoring the student. Teaching doesn't need to be a magic show. There's no reason not to let students see behind the curtain. Every year, about half my course load is first-year composition classes, and every year someone asks, why do I have to take this class? Often, the student asking is frustrated that they have to spend money and time on a general education course whose benefit isn't immediately obvious to them. Dismissing the situation might lead the student to suspect you don't know the answer or don't care about the student-teacher relationship. Either way, at that moment, you've lost the student's respect, interest, and motivation. Students who understand the mechanics of learning may become better at learning. If we can't answer why do I need this or why are we doing this, then maybe we should reconsider the necessity of that lesson, skill, or learning objective. Ignoring the transition. 
As a learning rationale, using the shorthand phrase, you're going to need this for college, passes on the responsibility of meaningfulness to the next level of education. This is not to say that scaffolding skills, creating a sequence of learning or classes that build on each other, what is otherwise called vertical alignment, isn't valuable. It definitely is. Practicing a specific genre, like a research report, for example, doesn't make sense if the student hasn't yet learned about structure and organization and why a writer would want to impose a form on a piece of text. Passing the buck isn't scaffolding, though. It would be like telling students that we have to practice writing reports because college requires lots of reports. As though the only reason to teach that genre before a student gets to college is because college teachers don't have time to teach it themselves. For example, while writing research papers, students will often ask, why does it matter how or if I cite my sources in a specific way? Can't I just include the link where I found it and be done? A, you're going to need it for college teacher might respond, this is just how they want it in college. Another teacher instead might pause and break for a mini lesson on citations why they look the way they do, what each method of citation values or reveals about the values of the potential audiences and how citations have evolved with each style book. The second scenario is messier and takes more time, but the students will better understand the why behind attribution. It might even make their writing better as they spend time thinking about the value systems of potential audiences. Worse than passing the buck, Telling students that they'll need something for college suggests that it is a school-only skill and not something that might be important for the future, work, or life. So the skills, lessons, and concepts that we teach have time limits and boundaries. We know that isn't true, but students don't see that yet. The campus where I work serves a larger-than-normal, non-traditional student community, students who have come back to school after years in the real world. Almost to a person, these students are focused. They know what they want to accomplish. And almost to a person, they say something like, I wish I had paid more attention in high school, slash the first time I came to college. Too many people seem to understand that calculus or chemistry is necessary to being an engineer or pharmacist, but many people often only see writing as a means to an end the stockholder annual review brochure that communicates all the cool real work the company did that year. Ignoring potentials. Our national obsession with college creates a social rift, a caste system between the educational haves and have-nots. Education as an institution is a self-propagating system. We create our own audience by recommending more and higher courses, certifications, and credentials, and then we induct the best and brightest back into the system to further propagate that system. This in itself is not inherently unethical. All systems are interested in developing self-sustaining processes. What is problematic is to suggest that not anyone participating in the system is less for doing so. For students who do not plan on going to college, for whatever reason, hearing you're going to need this for college is permission to stop paying attention because that skill has no larger context than school now and more school later. What we teach, however, does have larger implications. Sometimes it is the skill or concept, and sometimes the reach is about helping students learn how to learn and how to enjoy or value their education. 
Whether or not a person's formal education includes a college, surely we want our friends, neighbors, and co-workers to actively enrich their own lives. Creating a knowledge and ability line in the sand at college is a socially disruptive practice. We undermine our lessons, our field, our accountability, and our expertise when we tell students you're going to need this for college. More important, though, is this. We quietly corroborate the argument that education is only about economics, that there is no reason to learn other than to achieve better pay or a nicer title. Those things are nice, to be sure. But being educated should ultimately be a personal endeavor. We learn because it's fulfilling, because we are meant to grow. If saying you're going to need this for college is how we sidestep admitting that we don't know why we are teaching something, then we need to think carefully about the assignments we foster or prevent, the threshold we set, and the discussions that accomplished and emergence teachers have about them. And if saying you're going to need this for college is a way to truncate the conversation about why we are doing something in the classroom and how it will benefit students, we need to give ourselves and our peers permission to let learning get messy. In fact, it's not that telling students that the learning they are doing now will make more sense later or have a bigger payoff later, possibly even in college, that is bad. It's ending the conversation there that's wrong, suggesting that later is the pedagogical rationale and learning goal for some lesson or skill. If we want students to be sophisticated learners, and we should, whatever their personal and professional goals might be, then we need to let them see behind the curtain pick at the machinery of learning, and let them ask difficult questions. We need to show them how learning works, and that it can also work for them. Further reading. For more about the role of creativity in education, Ken Robinson's book, Finding Your Element, is a good start. He also has a number of TED Talks, including the most viewed lecture in the history of TED.com, on what the purpose of school is and could be. For data about the transition and transfer between high school and college writing, read Joanne Addison's and Sharon James McGee's article, Writing in High School slash Writing in College, Research Trends and Future Directions. For a good discussion on what writing is and how it is learned, see Linda Adler-Kastner's and Elizabeth Wardle's book, Naming What We Know. Finally, Mike Rowe's Facebook page is a challenging source for thinking about education versus education. Stephen Johnson's book, Where Good Ideas Come From, The Natural History of Innovation, is helpful for thinking about the kinds of environments that encourage innovative thinking. And Catherine Schultz's book, Being Wrong, Adventures in the Margin of Error, is perhaps my favorite text, challenging the social and academic stigma that surrounds error. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You just heard the bad idea about writing, you're going to need this for college. And it's by Andrew Hollinger, who in 2020 sent me this updated bio. 
Andrew Hollinger is coordinator of first-year writing at the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. He is a recipient of the University of Texas System's Regents Outstanding Teaching Award. His work focuses on first-year writing and curriculum, WPA work and definitions, as well as materiality, publics and circulation, and genre. In addition to his teaching, scholarship, and published work, he is interested in maker rhetorics and is a practicing bookbinder and linocut artist. The podcast version of Bad Ideas About Writing is usually produced and narrated by me, but, you know, these days, today, it's just produced by me. It's hosted at Anchor.fm. You can find it anywhere you like to get your podcast. The theme music is Parade by Nocturnum. You should check him out at the Free Music Archive and his SoundCloud. And the open access book, Bad Ideas About Writing, was first published way back in 2017 by the West Virginia University Libraries and Digital Publishing Institute. It's available online at their website for free. That's where you should go if you'd like to read a print version of this chapter. Both the podcast and the book are published under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License, which means you may freely distribute and remix them as long as you attribute the authors. So thanks, as always, to Cheryl Ball and to Drew Lowy and to all the authors in this awesome collection. I'm Kyle Stedman. I'm on Twitter at KStedman, and I live in Rockford, Illinois, where um, this part of me can't believe that I started this podcast in 2020. It's 2022, and like spring is coming, and I guess that means summer is eventually coming, and you know projects end right don't they, they don't just go on forever can someone someone assure me of that okay i think projects end great i mean i'm glad i'm here i'm having fun You're, are you having fun no <laughs> this is getting weird thanks for listening